Do you want me to play the intro music? Oh, yeah, yeah, play the intro music. Okay. <laughs> Warm me up here. Okay, here we go. Welcome to Double Cuzzies, where two people who share 25% of their DNA and their entire extended families talk about life. Double Cousins. It's like if Kara and Poppy Delavine married Alec and Stephen Baldwin and had kids. Mm-hmm. That is what it's like. That is exactly what it's like. <laughs> or uh, was it Billy Baldwin? The other one? The other mm-hmm. brother? Yeah. There are many Baldwin brothers. Yeah, there's more than three, right? Yeah. Only three that are in acting. Yeah. I remember one time this waiter asked me, he said I looked like a celebrity, which we, we've we been meaning to talk we about. We will do that on an, another episode, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and then he was like, you know who people think I look like? And I was like, no, I don't. And he was like, the Baldwin brother. And my response was, which one? Which one? <laughs> Hallie. Hallie Baldwin as a baby. Right. Oh, yeah. We've also <laughs> confirmed that she looked more like a Baldwin brother. Yeah, she yeah. looked very, yeah, at least in that one baby picture that was part of the game. <laughs> the one that stumped you. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, well, I chose that example this week because I figured that the Baldwins and the the Delavine sisters represent some pretty mainstream, long-standing concepts of what is attractive and what is not. So our beauty standards for Western-influenced society, if you will. Mm-hmm. Because this week's episode, we're going to try something a little bit different. So since Kalia and I are both ladies, a lot of our conversations always... <laughs> if you ta- didn't know. If you didn't know, we are ladies. So a lot of our conversations, we talk about things from that lens. And so we figured that occasionally this season, we were going to have a couple of lady-focused episodes and things that are more specific to the female experience. So for this week's discussion, we're going to talk about beauty standards. I guess with that, you know, we'll talk a little bit about what were the beauty standards when we were kids? Where Mm -hmm. do we think those came from? And, you know, how do we think beauty standards are changing now? And what has our relationship with with beauty and what we find beautiful change over time as well. So with, with that, Kalia, do you want to start us off? As a kid, you know, what were your concepts of what was beautiful and what was not? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I, 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 I have this question in front of me. I've had it in front of me for like a day now, and I, I haven't thought about it yet. <laughs> this is a spur um, of the moment. <laughs> yes. So I'm just thinking we were both 90s kids, So media was definitely very different then, but I feel like my concept of beauty or I guess just something like generally acceptable or yeah, I guess beauty came probably came a lot from media Mm -hmm. like show TV shows, American Girl dolls, oddly enough, that's Mm -hmm. popping up for me like Disney princesses, Mm -hmm. which that's obviously an inflated style of beauty with the big eyes and, you know, voluminous hair and sharp facial features. So I feel like a lot of it was media for me. I And, you know, I can't say that I consciously was thinking about it in that way mm-hmm. at that age, but just thinking about, hmm, 
how is that idea informed at that age? It was probably a lot of, you know, cartoons, dolls. Yeah. The kids stuff. Yeah. And I think probably in addition to media, the fact that we both grew up in Arizona Mm -hmm. and sort of the demographics in Arizona and then what we see in mainstream media too. I think that for me anyways, that had an influence of, you know, not seeing necessarily a whole lot of diversity within media Mm -hmm. and then also in surroundings where the concepts of of beauty is very much, you know, blonde hair, blue eyed, white centric. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I I think growing up anyways, that was sort of just your understood, like that's the standard. Mm -hmm. That's (laughs) Uh, the norm. I mean, that's the norm. Yeah. You're around it so much. That's kind of all you know. Yeah. Especially in a state like this. Yeah. Also, I think with Disney, you know, the aspect of thinness, Disney princesses and body shape Mm -hmm. and everything too. And in America, I think at that time, especially it's changed since then, but mainstream beauty standards is still very much like thin fit, I guess. Tall, but Mm -hmm. not too tall for a woman anyways. (laughs) Yeah. It's always, it's thick, but not in some places, thick in other places, but thin (laughs) in others. (laughs) Yeah, and so we all look like anime dolls, basically. Yeah, and it's so odd how all of that changes, too. I mean, especially nowadays with, you know, body shapes in women, very much influenced by certain pop culture. I mean, mm-hmm. I remember when there was a couple years ago when I was going to the gym, and I just saw all of these women trying to achieve the same exact body. So it's so odd because all of this is, it's all just trends, you know, it's, yeah. it's the look one year, two years or for a small amount of time and then it totally changes. So, yeah. but it's, I mean, it's hard not to be affected by as a woman. Yeah. It's like the things that you're made to hate about your body now might be the trend in 10 years from now. So mm-hmm. just uh, basically don't change anything about yourself because who cares? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, at this point, I mean, I don't want to get too far off the question we're talking about, but yeah, just self-acceptance. Yeah. That's a very powerful thing. Mm-hmm. So I think going back to that, to the question that we were talking about is like as kids then in this concept of beauty, did you see yourself reflected in that? I don't think I did. No, because there wasn't anybody who looked like me kind of in mass culture. Mm-hmm. And as you mentioned, living in Arizona, there's there weren't many Asian people, you know, the only Asian people I knew were kind of our family. So Mm -hmm. I didn't feel like I related, but at the same time, I didn't, I don't remember wanting to like, well, I was going to say, I don't remember wanting to change myself, but I don't know if that's true. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think that as a kid, I had this understanding that broader culture's concept of beauty was not necessarily inclusive of what I also thought was like my concepts of beauty. Because I think within our own family, especially women wise, like I I find, I think that my mom is one of the most beautiful women I've ever seen in person. (laughs) And, and so I think that like that as an example, that is not blonde haired, blue eyed, but also was not represented in mainstream media. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, there would definitely be, family friends, acquaintances, strangers who would comment straight up on how beautiful Mm. my mom is. (laughs) And Mm. so I did see that sort of 
that validation in a sense, that external validation that, okay, it it isn't just a concept of blonde hair, blue eyes, that is beauty. But Mm -hmm. it's also interesting to think about like, how does that external validation of whether that society finds you beautiful or not? And how do you use Mm -hmm. that to validate yourself? Right? Mm -hmm. So, Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, that's probably too psychologically deep for us to go into but I think yeah a lot of it has to do with well is that your currency is that what you define yourself by you know Mm -hmm. when you get those comments is that something that satisfies you in a certain way like how do you take that so yeah that's that's an interesting question like what do you actually do with it yeah and I think it's also interesting like learning more about people where to find out that their self-impression is that they're not attractive or that they're not Mm. anything beautiful or outstanding or whatever. But for people who it's like, I think that they're gorgeous. Like, I don't want to have my looks commented on all the time Mm -hmm. because I think that's the least interesting part of me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But at the same time, it's kind of like, if you don't have any sort of external feedback or like, how do you not, I guess, internalize people's comments about you? And that doesn't become a part of your identity. Yeah. I don't know. It's it's a more complicated question, yeah. I guess. Than I yeah. <laughs> this is, this yeah. is beyond my brain capacity right now. But but yeah. it is, I mean, think about that. Like somebody saying you're beautiful, you're really pretty. And then another compliment like, oh, you, I, I love your voice or you're smart or I love your outfit. Like, I guess I just keep going back to the question of why, why does any of that matter? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I don't know if that's just like too cynical, but yeah, it's funny. And then just thinking back on compliments, like I found found myself recently when somebody gives me a compliment, especially when it's something pertaining to my looks, it does not feel comfortable to me to say thank you mm-hmm. because thank you sounds to me like almost like an, yeah. oh, I, I know, mm. you know, or or not really like accepting of it, or it's just like a weird, weird acknowledgement of yeah. it. Like, I don't think you should feel weird. Well, I'm not going to tell you how you should feel. I'm just going to say, <laughs> I don't think you should feel the way that you feel, Kalia. <laughs> but I think that it, at least it doesn't come off that way. I don't think like mm. if I was to compliment somebody and well, first of all, I don't think I would do that because I think that's just kind of a weird thing. But yeah. like if somebody was to compliment me like that and I was to say thank you or vice versa, like, I think it would be like, I appreciate, I appreciate your mm-hmm. compliment, right? Mm-hmm. I would not perceive somebody saying thank you to me complimenting them as a like, a, oh, well, that that bitch thinks that she's hot, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, maybe can be skewed I've just that way sometimes. Mean girls too many times. Maybe, maybe, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a trap. <laughs> a compliment is a trap <laughs> to try and make you seem like you're arrogant. <laughs> I do have. I do think it's. It's uncomfortable, though, to say thank you when somebody compliments you on your appearance because then it almost feels like I needed that validation, Mm, you know, where it's like, thank you. It was unsolicited, you know, like, Mm -hmm. and so I I think maybe that's that's a little bit of the awkwardness for me anyways. Yeah, 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 that might be the feeling. I I can't really peg down the feeling, but yeah, there was something weird about it, so when it happens now, I try to make a conscious effort not to say thank you. No thank you. Finger <laughs> whack. You just go, hashtag, me too. Time's <laughs> up, and then you walk away. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I my response now is typically like, oh, that's very kind of you. Yeah. 
like to have said that, but it is, I don't know. I, I guess I'm, maybe we need to get back into constructive compliments, but I'm, I'm not a f- really free, like compliment giver. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like I walk around the office, like I love your shoes. Oh, your hair looks great. And maybe I should try it though. <laughs> you should. Cause you think about it. I think commenting on some, on something that somebody is wearing Mm-hmm. it's like you're not it's like oh I love your shoes right that compliment would be very different than like a, you have a really nice face mm-hmm. <laughs> you know like that's kind of weird and also I think that's kind of where the line is drawn for like sexual harassment too of like what mm-hmm. are you able to compliment and yeah. when it's not without objectifying yeah somebody. yeah and but I think that like if you are if you can find the line of like how do you compliment somebody without objectifying them mm-hmm. receiving a compliment like oh I love your shoes like I would, I, there would be no hesitation in being like, oh, thanks so much. And then I would talk a lot more about like where mm-hmm. I got them, you know? And so, and so, and that would make me feel good, objectively speaking, and it would make me feel nice for the rest of the day. Mm-hmm. But having somebody comment on my physical appearance, like of something that I don't, I can't really change or that isn't mm-hmm. really a choice. Like that's a little weird. Cause then I, yeah. then it's like a conflicted feeling of like, I don't know how to interpret that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then it's almost like, oh, that since they've, I know this is not true by any means, but like since I got this feedback, it's like almost a pressure to maintain it in that way. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So maybe instead of like constructive compliments, what we should bring back is we'll do really superficial compliments. <laughs> destructive right? compliments. Be destructive compliments. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it'll just be like very, very, very superficial things, mm-hmm. you know, and we'll get better at just giving casual, it'll be casual compliments. This is, yes. <laughs> That's a great top. Yeah. Yeah. Kaylee, you look great in a, in like a halter top style, you know? <laughs> And then, it, yeah. and then it'll slide into like, because you have great shoulders. That's when it, that's the line, right? Mm. That's the line where it's yeah. becomes objectifying. Yeah. Yeah. So I would love to hear what was your experience growing up from when I think when we hit like adolescence and we got into high school and then you started modeling and everything. And we've talked about mm. this before, you know, I would, I would be very interested to know, like, as you were growing up, what was your perception of yourself? And this is a safe space, Kalia, so don't worry about feeling like you're braggy. <laughs> but like, you obviously knew that you were objectively beautiful enough to be mm-hmm. a model, right? Mm-hmm. When you went to like not feeling like, oh, you know, I'm just kind of gawky or whatever, to mm-hmm. like feeling more like yourself, or not even really feeling like more like yourself, but more feeling like you're more, I guess, relevant to this modeling space. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know really when it switched, but I definitely remember and like getting comments like, oh, you're very pretty or your hair mm. is so, so nice or you're beautiful. And that would happen quite often, you know, just random, unsolicited or or even just like I would be out with friends or f- family. Even my mom would say to me, like, I when I'm with you, I notice people looking at you mm, in a different mm-hmm. way. And I, I never really noticed that. But like, I think through all of those interactions, it kind of became like more apparent to me, like this is something that I have, you mm-hmm. know, this is a quality of me that people notice. You got notice. the look, girl. You got the look. <laughs> yeah. So, and I mean, I don't... It's hard to say, like, if that's something that I really wanted to do, but modeling, I think, just through circumstances of people that we knew or, 
you know, how did I get into it? Damn. (laughs) (laughs) I think just it kind of got to a point where it's like I was receiving that much feedback. And then, you know, those comments at a a certain age can oftentimes be like, oh, have you ever modeled before? Have Mm, you ever mm -hmm. thought about modeling? So I think that's Mm kind of where the idea got implanted in my head. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, even when I was modeling, I definitely... I. I had an awareness and I do have an awareness that I have a certain look that stands out for sure. And Mm -hmm. is not, and is, you know, probably would widely be recognized as very pretty or beautiful. But I think that's all to say, like when I was modeling, I, I definitely didn't have the most confidence while I was doing it because I was also Mm. very, very young Mm -hmm. too. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of a an interesting experience for me. And yeah, I, th- I think that affected me a lot, you know, doing that at that age. And even though I, I wasn't the most confident around it, just kind of psychologically knowing that I have this value directly linked to how I look. Mm-hmm. And in retrospect, I really don't like the way that kind of messed with my mind at the time not a very healthy thing to do but yeah I I don't know if that answered your question I can't (laughs) yeah I think I think it did and I think because what I was trying to understand is you know it sounds like you sort of found yourself in modeling and Mm -hmm. it was sort of because externally like external feedback was that this is something that you can do Mm. and should do Mm-hmm. But internally, actually understanding if that's something that you wanted to do mm, was not yeah. really there. And how could it really be fully at that such a young age, right? Yeah. And yeah. so, am I just doing yeah. this because I can or people think I should? Right. And so then I would love to know too, like, you know, that was in high school, early college, mm-hmm. but then you didn't pursue anything related to that. You still model, but that's not how you make money and support yourself mm-hmm. essentially, right? And mm-hmm. and so like as you got older and you started developing how you see yourself outside of just how you look. Mm-hmm. Like how did your relationship with how you felt about modeling? And I guess because I think that because it was such a unique thing where, you know, I didn't know anybody else who was a model. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I could see how because it's such a unique thing you can sort of be pigeonholed in that too of like, mm-hmm. it could be very well known of like within the family and extended family and family friends of like, Oh yeah, mm-hmm. Kalia, she's the, she modeled before. Right. Or she, mm-hmm. she's a model. And so I think like it is in a way it's like, well, that's a compliment that you're beautiful. Right. But at the same mm-hmm. time, it's kind of like, that's not all that you are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a interesting observation because it definitely was some of that. And I think there are some people in our family who, an extended family who really value looks and mm-hmm. beauty and being able to like talk about people like that. And, you know, as we've talked about before and, and when we talked about like jobs and what do you want to be when you grow up and things like that, mm-hmm. like it's very common in our family to kind of define somebody by just like what they're doing or what they're pursuing. Yep. So I definitely felt something, felt a little bit of that when I was younger, but I mean, I think the break away from it was easy for me because I I couldn't do it because I was in school and I just couldn't be free whenever to take jobs. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it was something that I thought about going back into, but it's like, quite honestly, it, 
it can be very, very boring. It's not, <laughs> the, the end product is very fun and to see the pictures and whatnot, but a lot of it is just waiting around or being on set for a whole day and you're only shooting for, you know, an hour or so of that. So, um, the actual work itself was kind of draining to me. Mm-hmm. And it's something that I knew just like being in Arizona, that there's not great work here. Mm-hmm. And to actually pursue that in a way that was a little more serious was just not something I wanted to do. Yeah. I think so. that is that aspect of modeling is so bizarre to me. To have an awareness that in order to be successful and like financially successful as a model, you have to be a commodity. Your mm-hmm. look has to be a commodity. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then to think that it's like, okay, because of the market that you were in, essentially, you were probably not going to get the frequency of work, the size of work that would Mm -hmm. be needed to really be like a full-time working model. Yeah. Yeah. But then that's like, that's like me saying, you know, it's like, oh, well, okay. It's one thing to say, like, I can't, I don't want to do that job because it doesn't pay me enough. But the reason why that job doesn't pay me enough is because of the way that I look and who I am. Like, that's Mm -hmm. fucked up. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So I can see how that, like, just even doing that assessment of, like, constantly going in for, like, casting calls and auditions Mm -hmm. and stuff like that, where it's like, you're straight up, your job interview is straight up how you look. Like, you're being sized up. Yeah. 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 As I said, unhealthy. And it's very hard to make it financially, even if you're in a larger market like LA or a bigger city, Mm. just doing modeling full-time. It's kind of funny that we're talking about this because my agency reached back out to me yesterday asking if I was thinking about if I would be open to getting back into it. And I I have a much better understanding of how it affected me now Mm -hmm. and I do I do shoots for friends or people that I know and like you know I I know what I like to do I know the parts of it that I enjoy so I'll do it when it makes sense for me so I'm kind of thinking about it (laughs) yeah because I I, yeah I think you're you're totally in a different place like yeah (laughs) yeah completely completely different so it's like if I can make it work for myself and if I could be picky about the jobs and Mm -hmm. I mean it's a really great way to meet people although there's a lot of downtime and shoots can be kind of you know just draining it's it's a really cool way to meet people kind of be creative in a different way and I love the production of shoots and everything so Mm -hmm. something I'm kind of thinking about but yeah I've had enough time away from it and I think I've grown more as a person than I um I I think I wouldn't be as affected by it now at yeah. this stage in my life. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's just, it's a very small part of your identity and your personality. It's not where, a much smaller part than it was when you were originally doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Because when I started, you know, I was high school and it's like, yeah. well, of course, somebody at a certain age is going to be in high school. So, like, what else are they doing? I wasn't the volleyball player yeah. or, you know, the the person in band like modeling was Mm -hmm. my extracurricular thing at the time Mm -hmm. so yeah yeah I always remember thinking that I was like Kaylee is so tall but she doesn't play any sports but at least she's (laughs) taking advantage but at least she's taking advantage of it by modeling (laughs) (laughs) she's making use of that yeah yeah 
That's yeah. why I did it because I was not great at sports. I was like, I have to do something. <laughs> that, that's why I did sports is because I was not tall enough or beautiful enough to be a model. So I was like, all right, I'll just do, I'll just do sports in school. <laughs> but yeah, I, I remember like, I think we might have referenced this before. Like we were at some family event and there was like some extended, you know, auntie. And, and it was somebody who like we hadn't seen since we were little kids. She's just like, oh, Kaylee and Emily. It's like, oh, you must be the model and you must be the smart one. It was like, what the fuck? It's yeah. like, wow, way to how to backhand compliment both of us in one fell swoop. That was impressive. Extremely, <laughs> like, extremely. What? I think, and then I think she walked away and we were both just kind of like, okay. What the fuck? Yeah, super weird. <laughs> Who was that? What super the weird. Yeah, which aunt was that exactly? I don't remember. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Do we have a commercial? Imagine needing a trash bag or batteries, or a roll of paper towels, and it's just there. Imagine never running out of anything, ever. Imagine wanting some of your favorite snacks. You know those twisty things with the seaweed? Or those candies that are like chocolate, but are also sour? No, not the ones in the red bag. The ones in the blue box that you like. Yeah, those. Imagine, you open the pantry, and they're already there. Imagine someone thanking you for the thoughtful gift that you had no idea you got them. Well, imagine no more. With our trusted service, you can make that life a reality. No, it's not a subscription program or a fancy new app. It's called Invisible Work by Women, and it's been around since the beginning of time. Remember that snack you unwrapped? Where'd you put that wrapper? Doesn't matter. It's already been quietly thrown away for you. And the next time you need or want anything, it will have already been thoughtfully obtained and put in a place that makes perfect sense to a rational human being but will somehow be impossible for you to find or see without our assistance. Invisible Work by Women is also available in the workplace. Need a team offset or social event planned? How about some designs for swag? Meeting notes? No problem. If you're bold, you can even try getting us to do your expense reports. Invisible Work by Women. Because who run the world? Well, still men, but we actually do everything. And with the use of the promo code GASLIGHTING, it's completely free. Yeah, I'm interested since you've mentioned your kind of reference of beauty as your mom when you were younger. Did that really come from the way you saw people interact with her? Or? I think so. I mean, I think it's like, I always thought that she was beautiful, but yes, it was kind of the same thing. I think that how your mom would see how people would look at you or come talk to you or comment to you. Right. It's the same kind of thing. Like I have been with my mom. Like I remember as a child, many, many times when a woman who we had, we had no idea who she was. We were just out somewhere shopping and she'd be like, I just want to say you are strikingly beautiful, you know? And so I think that it's like I, I, I understood that she was very beautiful, objectively mm-hmm. speaking, subjectively speaking. And so I think that at least was a good, a good representation of that, like, that there are other concepts of beauty outside of white and blonde. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that it was kind of like, as I got older, and whenever people say too, it's like, oh, you look just like your mom. I take that very much as a compliment. But I think like growing up between... You as a model, cousin, and then having a very beautiful mom, it was kind of like, all right, these are sort of the markers of what is 
Asian beauty anyways, considered mm -hmm. Asian beauty. But then my friend group was still very white. Mm -hmm. And I was friends very much with the white girls who were sort of the popular, the beautiful girls, you know, and so the, the plastics, if you will. And so being sort of in that group, but then not white, <laughs> I felt very much like kind of like a side character, mm -hmm. you know, okay, all of my friends are dating these white guys and that's cool for them. You know, mm -hmm. and it's kind of like, like I where think, do I fit in? yeah, where do I fit in? And then also because I played so much sports I, and I had a lot of guy friends, I was never very mm -hmm. interested in like, oh, like I want to be dating or whatever. But I think it was kind of like, well, because uh, most of the boys who we grew up with were white, I, I think for myself and then probably externally reinforced by like, oh, why did you date this guy? The, the one other Chinese guy, mm -hmm. you know, it was kind of like, okay, starting to internalize like oh maybe that's all I can consider who's mm -hmm. eligible who I'm eligible for yeah. right yeah yeah I I hate that high school like social dynamic like yeah. you there's another Asian person you should be with them like, right right it's like oh do you know that. them <laughs> yeah yeah and, and I mean it's and it's like when you're kids and it's a small population of people right it's like yeah do you know this person it's like yes I do know that person but then when you grow up and you're still getting these questions of like, oh, this one other Asian person, like, mm -hmm. oh, do you know that person? Are you related to that person? It's like, what no. the hell? So yeah. dumb. It's yeah. like, I don't ask you yeah. all that. Our, our, regular Asian, our regular Asian meetups, you know, that way. <laughs> yeah. 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 You wouldn't know. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, I think that that's, uh, I mean, I think that that's kind of the thing about Arizona a little bit is that it's, you have some diversity, but there is a lot of segregation where you have pockets of, you know, these communities that kind of stick with each other. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, there's not a whole lot of blending. Yeah. And I think without that blending, it can, it can cause a lot of ignorance on both sides for people that are mm -hmm. the majority and the minority, you know, it's like, because you don't know anything better, it definitely informs how you, you know, see people, see the world, treat people and... Yeah, I think it's a very tricky thing living here. Like, I, mm -hmm. I hate it that, you know, when I go visit you in Oakland, I'm always stunned at how many Asian people are there. Like, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> I don't want to be surprised by that anymore. Yeah. But you don't want to be like, M, Asians, Asians. <laughs> <laughs> Look at all these Asians. <laughs> yeah. So growing up then, for you, when you would see another Asian girl, like around the same age as you, what was that experience like? Yeah, you know, I... I was actually thinking about this a couple of days ago, a few weeks ago, because I remember that the, you had shared something when you were at a wedding and there was like one other Asian person, you kind of like bound together oh, or yeah. like, you just, you, you give, give them the look, you know, you're like, oh, what's yeah. up? Yeah. Yeah. Head yeah. Nod. I, I've never really had that conviction, like to connect with somebody like that. Mm -hmm. I don't know why, but yeah, it, that's not something that I would seek out and if I did come across that it I yeah I never maybe because I'm a little more like reserved socially I can be a little more socially reserved that I wouldn't do that but yeah I I, I don't really have anything to offer with that question yeah so <laughs> I guess what has been what do you think the reception by other Asian women has been when mm. they meet you Hmm. Because I have some commentary, I think, on on women in general and then Asian women specifically. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, it's hard to say. I really can't recall anything. And maybe it's a bit of me in present day. Like, I try not to be like that. Like, I'll think something. Like, mm-hmm. like going into a new office and, like, working next to another Asian woman or something. Like, I'll, I'll think that, but I make a conscious effort. Not that I'm afraid I'm going to say something <laughs> weird, but I don't want to call that out because I honestly don't like that myself. Like, uh-huh. if somebody said that to me, anybody, it could be... Well, I'd be a little more forgiving than an Asian person. But, <laughs> you um, mean if another Asian person went in and was like giving you the nod of recognition, you'd be offended by that? <laughs> you'd be like, like no, well, I'm not I'm not one of well, us. I'm not one of you. Don't I don't identify with you. Don't loop us in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't think those interactions are anything extraordinary for me. Okay. And maybe it's a way that I process them particularly because I I'm a little more conscious of not don't want to be that guy (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah I think it's growing up I think less so now and definitely I I feel zero competition with any of Mm -hmm. my girlfriends now Mm -hmm. and but I think that that kind of speaks to like who I have become friends with as I've grown up and like the self level of self-awareness that I've developed too that Mm -hmm. I I think I think like growing up very early on, like it was very much like, oh, okay, well, my friends are all seen as the pretty girls, you mm-hmm. know? And it was like, okay, well, where do I fit in with this? Mm-hmm. But then I think too much of the drama that happened in those adolescent friendships was caused by like petty jealousies. And, mm-hmm. you know, and and I think being like too dependent on how how you feel validated by like externally, by like male attention, mm-hmm. you know, specifically. And I think I probably didn't get out of that until college. Because mm-hmm. I think when you're in college, you start meeting a lot more people too, mm-hmm. right? And so I think for me, it's been this process of becoming less and less competitive about everything <laughs> mm-hmm. and knowing that I am a competitive person by nature. So when I start to compare myself to others to mm-hmm. actively not do that when it's not healthy, Mm. yeah mm-hmm. yeah but I think my experience though of like being younger and I think in mostly white spaces whenever there was another Asian girl anyways mm-hmm. it was always kind of like I would like to be friends with her that would be nice you know but some of the times the reception was kind of like the competition part of it of like there can be only one don't yeah. associate yourself with me right I kind of equated Asian girls sometimes to their like pugs because we had a pug, we had a black pug, right? And then my mom got a black pug. And when they saw each other, it was like, it was totally like, there can be only one. Like, I must eliminate this copy of me. And, and I have definitely got that feeling from other mm. Asian women. Not as much recently, I think because being out in the Bay Area, Asian women are everywhere. We are mm-hmm. everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. But in other places where it, there's like one or two, there is sort of this like, I feel like I'm getting sized up a bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's weird because, yeah. Was this like context of school or sports or? or um, mostly school, anywhere? socially. School. Okay. Yeah. So like okay. school, but then not, not even school, but the social part of it. 
Yeah. Like if you go, you know, at parties. Yeah, not really in sports because I, I feel like in sports it's kind of like you're more defined by your athletic ability, mm-hmm. regardless of whether what race you are or what you look yeah. like, right? So it was like you were straight up competing for athletic ability. You weren't competing mm-hmm. to be the only Asian. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So I think that I've I've kind of felt that, and I think that that definitely stems from growing up somewhere where we were for sure the minority. Yeah. You know, so. I guess I, I mean, as I alluded, alluded to before, I can't really relate to that, but I guess I really can't relate to that with that context because I literally was the only one in my mm, social group. Okay. Like, the only one so (laughs) nothing to compete against like really even nothing special in that sense because I was just just the one yeah (laughs) just the one you're like Mm -hmm. I won I'm number one I'm the number one Asian I'm the only one yeah I'm the only one and I'm number one (laughs) yeah Uh, yeah yeah I think maybe also when I was like in high school and I would meet other Asian girls in social situations where there would be other like Asian guys too. Mm-hmm. It would be sort of the sizing up of just like, it's the scarcity mentality, right? Of mm-hmm. like, oh, well, like if she's going to be dating one of these Asian guys, then that's one fewer Asian guys for me to be mm-hmm. potentially dating. And that's like a super fucked up way to think about everything. Mm-hmm. But especially in that context. And I think that, I mean, that's by design, right? It's like by yeah. design of our society is to make us think that we are only eligible for these particular groups Mm -hmm. and so we should never aspire to think about ourselves outside of that racial or cultural identity either Mm -hmm. so yeah it's all messed up it's really messed up yeah lady stuff (laughs) (laughs) well on that note i mean the asian competition aspect i guess i want to get more into like the asian part of it more broadly like Mm -hmm. are there any other influences in your life besides being Asian or you know having Asian family like any other cultural um, influences that make you see beauty or just like aesthetic things very specifically Hmm. I think maybe because I have moved around the country Mm. and I have seen different people a lot of different people and different lifestyles too so living in the midwest and how rough the climate is there and Mm. sort of that concept of like fashion for practicality versus straight up fashion it's just straight up survival (laughs) like having a coat that's rated for like negative 80 degrees and not caring how you look (laughs) and uh, but then also I think being in like a very sort of Scandinavian (laughs) portion Mm, of the U.S. too and and so I I think like seeing seeing people growing who are from a very different part of the country right and Mm -hmm. and then coming to California and again seeing a very different demographic of people that I then I grew up with I think as I have lived in other places and obviously traveled and stuff too you know I have a broader range of of things to pull from that I'm not just trying to fit everything into a very narrow standard of what I find is beautiful. Mm-hmm. I think it is more kind of like I, you know, I have an appreciation for why people 
dress the way they dress or, or I think I have a less less of a bias towards like physical beauty mm. even being a thing that's relevant mm. in my life you know yeah. so so yeah I think probably having a diversity of perspective of like engaging with different people and then I think also like I think the reason why I start talking about the Midwest specifically too is because the winters are so harsh like you feel the effects more than when you are living somewhere where the weather is relatively temperate most of the year where mm. you find yourself like yeah I am gaining weight going into winter I am gaining weight yeah. over the course of winter and and understanding that like the reason why that's happening is because like less activity but also it's like that's fine I'm gonna be wearing a bunch of sweaters and coats and it's fucking cold outside so who cares you know and yeah. so I think also being more comfortable with how my body changes as the seasons go too mm -hmm. right that and, and it's kind of weird where it's like it makes you think about ourselves more as like animals right mm -hmm. like you're getting ready for hibernation you're stocking up for the winter and so I think kind of understanding too that like physical appearance is definitely a changeable dynamic thing over the course of the year. Mm -hmm. And so how I feel about my body in the summer, like even it's like, I, I don't have this concept either of like, Oh, I need to be summer, like mm -hmm. beach ready yeah. or whatever. You know, it's yeah. just kind of like, this is how my body is right now. Whatever activity yeah. I'm going to do, that's what I'm doing. That's what kind of body I have is like, I'm going to yeah. be going to the beach. Doesn't matter if I have a beach body, my body is going to be <laughs> at the beach. <laughs> so That is a beach body. That is a beach body. Yes. <laughs> yeah. What about you? Um, I think specifically pertaining to any Asian influences, I mean, in general, I feel like my outlook or my view on that is is pretty far removed from it because we are Asian American and of the, what, like third, fourth generation? Fifth generation. Fifth generation, yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Three plus two. Yeah. That I don't feel like that's something that was really that we were really like pressured into. I mean, there are definitely like things that, mm -hmm. you know, were said or things that would be mentioned when we were younger by family, but it, I never felt like there was this cultural pressure or this standard or this norm to be a certain way. Yeah. I don't think that we felt individually like the effects of any, any unique beauty standards of Asian culture, because I think the the beauty standards of western culture around size specifically mm. is very much a, a global thing because of the influence of colonization right and those kind of beauty mm. standards and so it's a very well-known thing right within asian culture is that you are never you're never the right size you're either too fat mm. or you're too thin mm. right and and so i think that that doesn't i don't think that really comes from us being asian i think that that mm. is just something that women and people who present as women face mm -hmm. and but I think that like the parts of Asian culture or Asian beauty standards that I never felt like pressure to adhere to was around like color because mm -hmm. I think that there are some beauty standards within Eastern Asian cultures I mean really all cultures are still very much like oh the lighter skin the better mm-hmm and I never yeah. felt like that was a, an important thing or that that was anything that anybody in our family held up as, a, as yeah. a value of like what's attractive or not. Yeah. I do remember learning about that at a very young age. So like learning about, is, oh, okay. Learning about yeah. that beauty standard. Yeah. Yeah. Like lighter mm -hmm. skin is seen as better because if mm -hmm. you're tan, that means you're outside working and you're mm -hmm. peasant or lower class. So yeah. 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 But I think for our family though, like in Arizona, 
you know, and especially maybe for my portion of the family, because we were so active and outside playing so much, so many sports and everything, Mm -hmm. it was always like, yeah, we're all very, very tan. (laughs) We get, we get very tan very easily. And that was not anything that we were trying to prevent. Mm -hmm. It was like, we're sunblock for sun protection, but not because you don't want to get dark, you know? So I remember it was like when it was prom time, it was like, all right, I'm going to be trying to get rid of any upper body tan lines while I'm playing tennis (laughs) to try and match whatever the line is for my dress. Yeah. Strapless dress. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, it's like culture swings again too, right? Where, totally. yeah, yeah, where it's not like these pale, pale, pale skin is, is what the epitome of beauty is anymore either. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. So just hang on to what you've got and it'll be, it'll be in yeah. at some point. Yeah. And just don't, accept don't, yourself. Don't lighten your skin. Your skin color will be in vogue sometime <laughs> at some point. And until then, just realize that it doesn't fucking matter and that you're beautiful the way that you are. (laughs) Beach body is just a body going to the beach. (laughs) Yes, that is a great mantra. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. I think we got to the crux of it, essentially, of just like this external validation, what that does Mm -hmm. to your internal like self-image. And then like, I guess how that feels growing up, processing that. Yeah. 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 How do we want to wrap this up then? Mm. See, yeah. I mean, I think I'm I'm very appreciative that as I've aged, I've been able to think about these things in a different way, mm-hmm. and you know, appreciate what the experiences I've had earlier in life, but also be able to separate myself from that in a healthier way. Mm-hmm. So, I feel like this is how I end every episode. It's like <laughs> it's all it's all a journey. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Well, I think it's a good it's a good way to end the episodes, right? Of like mm-hmm. sort of the wrap up of personal growth within this theme, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like as we get older, we just understand more the things that actually matter to us. Mm-hmm. And some of these things matter much less to us now than they did when we were kids. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Yeah. You just have a deeper understanding of what's important in life. And I mean, I it makes sense when you're a teenager and you just haven't experienced anything, so it's easy to fall into that, but mm-hmm. it gets better. Yeah, it gets better. Maybe a good way, a good call to action <laughs> to end with is to be mindful about how you talk to young people, especially. Mm, yeah. You know, that like if you're constantly complimenting somebody on only their physical appearance, mm-hmm. what that does to them. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Is there anything that you practice with your children in relation to that? Oh, it's so funny. I was, (laughs) Mm -hmm. so I had this thought when it's like, my kids are so fucking cute. They're so (laughs) cute. Okay. And I know everybody thinks that their kids are cute, but my kids are objectively very, very cute. Okay. Undeniably cute. And especially when complimenting my daughter and maybe I over-indexed like and thinking about how I compliment my daughter or how people compliment my daughter specifically but when I'm like oh you're so cute or you look so nice in that outfit or whatever and then I'm immediately like but that's not all that matters and you have you're such an you know I start like listing off all these fun things and so it's just kind of it's a bit of a running joke where it's like okay how much do you really need to get into like how comfortable are you just saying like okay 
like, oh, you're so cute. You're so cute. You're so pretty. She's getting really beautiful. You're going to, you look like you're going to be really beautiful when you grow up. But then also mm-hmm. like affirming that that doesn't matter, <laughs> you know? So it's yeah. a weird thing where I, I want to be able to just freely, you know, compliment my kids. And, and like, it's nice that other people compliment them too, but I don't want them to be, to, to be built up into their heads that either that that's how, that's only how people see them, mm-hmm. but also that like yourself, where they feel this pressure to either pursue something related to that because they feel like, oh, well, I should do this because I can, mm-hmm. or that they feel a pressure to maintain their physical looks as they get mm-hmm. older, mm-hmm. not because they want to, but because they feel like, oh, well, I have this, I'm, I'm a beautiful person. I was told that mm-hmm. I was beautiful, you know? And yeah. so it's a blessing and a curse. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you got to find some type of balance. But hopefully, you know, with kids nowadays, I think representation of different people in culture and media is very very different than we were children so Mm -hmm. I think in terms of finding that type of like self-acceptance hopefully that's easier for kids nowadays yeah and I think that like my myself too trying to be really conscious of of how judgmental I am as a person and making sure that I am like stopping that behavior when it comes to my kids Mm. too that, okay, if somebody compliments them or somebody comments on, like, their appearance, but that understanding that that doesn't detract from anybody else. It's not Mm -hmm. a competition, right? And that it's, like, because somebody thinks that they are cute and they look very different than another child does not mean that that child is not cute. Mm -hmm. And just because even if that child was not cute, that doesn't matter either. (laughs) So, yeah. Yeah, it's, like, some weird, like, logical loops that I go on in my head unpacking, like, that... You know, I, I think my kids are ob- objectively beautiful, yeah. but they are just beautiful people also. It's like, so. I wish I could just enjoy the cuteness of my children without feeling bad. Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Without yeah. feeling like I might get canceled or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so you just have to balance the, oh, you're so cute with, and you can do anything in yep. the world. Yep. <laughs> You're so cute, but looks can also be fleeting. So don't base your personality around that. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Scare them straight. Yeah, early on. Yeah, and then they'll just like not want anybody to look at them ever again. <laughs> just like a phantom of the opera. Yeah. Well, you know, my my son has long hair, and it's always in his face, and it's like that's a whole look in itself, and mm-hmm. it's very much him at this point. But when he has his hair pushed back. It's like, oh, I love being able to see his little face. Mm, So it's like, do you want to get your hair cut short? And he's like, yes. And it's like, are you going to miss having long hair? And he's like, yes. And I was like, well, that's okay, because it'll grow back, (laughs) you know? And so (laughs) it's kind of like, hmm, maybe we'll mix it up a little bit. So, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, should always grow back. So I can see that beautiful face. Yes. Yeah. All right. So to wrap it up, love yourself, love each other. And Mm -hmm. don't make a lot of weird, excessive comments about people's appearances, regardless of their age, but especially if they're young. Just don't be weird. Don't be that guy. Don't be that guy. Don't be that guy. That's the end of this. Don't be that guy. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for listening. (laughs) Thanks for listening. (laughs) (laughs) Give us a rating if you enjoyed this. Or if you didn't, give us a rating. Yeah, or if you didn't, then just still give us a rating. But also still give, give us some comments. Especially mm-hmm. if you didn't enjoy this, give us some comments. Mm-hmm. Don't just give us a two-star rating and then no context for it. 
Because I find that hilarious, but it's not productive. So we want the feedback. Yeah. Give me the feedback. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Thanks for listening to Double Cuzzies. Family by genetics. Friends by choice. Bye. Bye.